This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast. And here I am with my co-host once more for the final episode, uh, at least this time round, uh, with Rosemary on Infrastructure as Code. And uh, unless there's anything else from you, Jan. It's a bit of a sad episode, last episode of Rosemary. Oh, only for now. Who knows? Maybe, maybe if we weren't, if we don't disgrace ourselves too much, we'll come back and talk to us again. Um, too late. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. Now, what about the situation where you've got um, multiple different parties that are involved in a a particular product? I mean, one one sort of example that's reasonably well understood is is the cloud providers themselves. Most of them have you know, APIs or elements that you can hook into that allow you to automate against them. But where it seems like it would get trickier is the the more and more third parties you involve, the more difficult sort of achieving this infrastructure as code nirvana can be. You know, if you if you've got, for example, uh, I don't know an outsourced provider for certain infrastructure tasks, or you've got um, sort of a, a separate part of a separate service that deals with maybe your observability platform and another another provider for your storage platform and all those sorts of things. Like, I can imagine that it can get quite hairy in terms of trying to figure out exactly how you can try and tie all of these things together in a meaningful way. Yeah, I think that there's a, you know, sort of like the the limiting the limiting resource or the limiting API of sorts. Um, and mm. you know, years years ago when I was doing some automation work, it was always a question of where could I stop the limit of automation? Um, which one didn't have an API, a well-behaved API for me, and in which case I did have to do a manual process. I think that there are going to be systems that don't support everything 100%. So there's two ways to think about it in which there's a third party system that doesn't support the tool that you're using, but it does support something else. Or you have this third party system that doesn't support any sort of automation uh, or any infrastructure as code. And, you know, the first the first situation tends to be a little bit easier in that if they, maybe you're not supporting one tool, they're not supporting one tool, you can speak to a vendor or you can speak to um, the sort of the the community that's developing it that perhaps we should consider an integration, consider something that does allow this tool to do it. Otherwise, you may have to acknowledge that you have to um, switch, you not switch tools, but use different tools, right? Um, we are poly tools. We have to in infrastructure. Um, we want one tool to rule it all, but in the uh, in the practical sense, we can't do that. Um, and so you have to acknowledge you have multiple tools either you write your own or you find the tool that is compatible with that third party. Um, yeah. In the case of there is no automation at all, um, oftentimes there's a strong emphasis from a vendor or community standpoint, like please automate it. That's that's one big, um, <laughs> you know, big way you can contribute uh, is to put your, add your voice to it and say, please help automate this or please make sure this is automated. Um, and the second, you know, second way, unfortunately, is to build it yourself, right? And if you do build it yourself, um, Hopefully that tool has an API, most tools do now, which is good. Um, and if they have an API, you would want to break it down into create, read, update, delete. Um, and as you're doing create, read, update, delete, make sure you're structuring your actions and automations around those four uh, actions. And it will make it a little bit more predictable, especially as you repeat that automation. With a bit of luck, they're using an open standard. You can actually reuse some stuff you did before. Yeah. <laughs> we can hope. 
That's the hope. I hope. That's the hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope one day we can all declare a network is a network and not like, you know, whatever specific, uh, you know, nuanced <laughs> terminology that we have across like four different cloud providers and three different, you know, on-prem tools. Uh, but unfortunately that, that isn't going to happen anytime soon, but you know, maybe we'll get closer to it. Ah, so what you're saying is we just need one standard to rule all the standards. Oh, no, wait a minute. Now we've got even more standards. Oh, dear. Anyway, so if if this is sounding kind of really exciting and interesting to, to people and they, they think that this is something they, they should be investing in, you know, what sort of, you know, people should they focus on? What sort of training should they look at? What sort of, how how should people start this journey in terms of the people side of things? Yeah, so it does require some foundations and skill sets. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, there's not a good way around it. Uh, part of this is find one cloud provider. Uh, you know, you could you could do on-prem, but it will make it a little bit easier from an experimentation perspective, mm -hmm. from a skills acquisition perspective, to choose one cloud provider. Um, whether you choose to go through some kind of certification or not, it's up to you. Uh, but choose one, learn it, understand the, the different components and the nuances. Um, and use it as a way to inform your experiences, which is the next piece, which uh, tends to be learn one provisioning tool. Um, you can choose your provisioning tool. There are a number of them out there now, um, whatever one you feel most comfortable with, but understand the, the you know, understand sort of at the, the sort of the basic proficiency of how are you creating infrastructure using this tool? Um, how are you going to develop with someone else using this tool? And that's there's sort of some collab light collaboration skill sets that you'll you'll acquire from uh, working and experimenting with this with the infrastructure as code tool of your choice. Uh, and then after that uh, is the harder part, which is picking up all of the ways that you have to uh, all of the patterns that you might need to know to scale it across your organization. And I think that the from a from a cultural standpoint, or from you know folks who are bringing this into your, their organization, um, you know the the initial learning is is a lot more structured in that you can find tutorials, you can find resources, but finding resources and finding the right patterns to help you scale it um, and get buy-in across an organization is a lot more difficult. And part of that takes time. Part of that takes you know. You can, there's a number of collaboration practices referenced in the book, but um, part of this means that understanding uh, version control, which, you know, might be a course in itself, understanding mm. a little bit of CI/CD, um, understanding how are you uh, collaborating from a development standpoint, whether it be feature branching, trunk-based, and then finally, a little bit of security. As much as we, you know, we mentioned this before, but baking the security into the infrastructure earlier in the process will help you later, right? So yeah. um, even a little bit of that will help too. Fantastic. Okay, so we, we often learn more from uh, more from failures than we do from the successes. So what are what are some of the uh, the, the giant flaming balls of, of failure that you've seen from people? Like, wh how, how do people get this wrong? And, and how can people learn from that? Um, I would tell, I'll, couple, I'll do a couple ones, and I, I think it answers some frequently asked questions, too, that I get. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes with infrastructure as code, there's two separate types these days. There's domain-specific languages, and then there's programming languages. Mm -hmm. um, with domain-specific languages, it's really easy to sort of copy-paste and drop everything into one file. 
so you can copy and paste the examples from various places. You drop it into one big file or a couple <laughs> files in one repository, and you're really excited about it. And over time, you say, uh, I'm, you know, I have like now 300 resources in this one file or one directory, and it takes like 30 minutes for it to apply any changes. <laughs> Um, and when I, I, I call that a singleton in, in, as a nod to sort of like the software development <laughs> pattern, um, module pattern, but, uh, you know, as a singleton, it, it's, you know, it's difficult to manage over time because as you're adding more resources, right, the amount of time you wait to apply a change is exponential. It gets really complicated to debug. Um, and so one of the, the big messes is like, at some point someone came to me and said, we have like, I think 1,500 resources. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, how long does it take you to apply? And they're like, oh, it takes, you know, two hours. And we were running into a lot of issues. And so, of course, you know, the, part of this problem is that your infrastructure API, whether it be cloud or otherwise, tends to have rate limits. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's not going to like it when you issue, like, that many API calls because that's really what it's doing, right? It's, it's making API calls lots of API calls. Um, and so from, you know, that flaming, I guess, ball, it was, I can't call it, it's more like a ball of light. <laughs> but from that, you know, we had to go through the process of refactoring, understanding dependencies. How do you extract and refactor all of these better modularize them? So that's one story. Uh, so one thing I can say uh, from learning from that, I was like, yeah. There's a fine balance between modularizing too much, but there's a good thing to modularizing a little bit, right? When you start out, um, you don't need it. You don't need a module for everything right off the bat. But if you find yourself, you know, putting everything in one folder and one folder, and you're just like waiting for more than 10 minutes for these changes to apply, it's probably a good indicator to just start breaking them out into different repositories, different directories, and managing them on separate workflows. That's one story. Um, the second is monorepos. Uh, a lot of infrastructure as code, in, especially in the domain-specific language space, tend to put infrastructure configuration in directories. Uh, and each directory has another directory, whether it be environment or otherwise. And so for you to detect changes and apply changes, your CI framework has to go into each of these directories recursively and detect changes and apply them. Most CI frameworks are not built for this. Uh, we can acknowledge this. Unless you have like a build tool that is you know, really built for monorepos, uh, a lot of the tools that you're going to run into from the CI framework space may not really support this well. And in which case you end up having to go into multi-repository, a multi-repository structure. So those are like the two, I would say not failures, but certainly like very close to big balls of mud that I encounter mm. quite a bit. In the case of the monorepo, I think someone was like, we have 800 directories. I was like, how many like subdirectories under that 800 directories? They're like, I don't know, like maybe three or four environments per subdirectory. So I'm like, you're recursively going in every time. And this poor CI framework was clearly like falling over. Uh, yeah. And I was like, maybe we should consider a multi-repository model at this point. <laughs> and you're also thinking about, well, you know, the you can you can think about you know, what developers have access to different repositories as soon as you start breaking it down stuff like that as well and just sort of there are so many reasons beyond just the it takes a long time for it to run to to think about kind of modularizing splitting these things that making them that, that little bit easier for the human brain to to kind of wrap its head around 
Yeah, exactly. From a management perspective, it helps a lot. And from a maintenance yeah. perspective, too. There's a couple in security, but I'm not sure if I can like uh, say, <laughs> say, them, say too many details about them. But uh, yeah, there are a couple of security concerns with infrastructure as code, too. And I think that had more to do with um, sort of like a rush to deliver. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some some there was some, um, you know, some unfortunate misconfigurations. Um, and they were not necessarily exploited, but later on determined to, to be a, a very, I mean, one of them, but was exploited, but they were determined not to be the most, um, the most secure configuration. So then they had to be yeah. remediated. Yeah. Uh, we don't need key mm -hmm. vaults, just hard code the passwords. That's fine. <laughs> of course. Of course. Hard coding. All the passwords, you know, default <laughs> password too, oh, yeah. right? Why not? <laughs> I mean, if you bother with a password at all, you know, just, yeah. just leave it blank. It's just trust fine. the world. <laughs> Uh, yeah, spoiler, it's definitely not fine. <laughs> no, no, change it, add a password, but also change the default password, you know, yeah. make sure, you know, uh, if you can lock down your network policy, if you, you know, if possible, that would be great. <laughs> so. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what's, what's next for this kind of space? What's the, the sort of the next evolution that you can see on the horizon for where this is all heading? The, I mean, I, we, we talked about this before, but event-driven, uh, event-driven infrastructure as code is mm. becoming a bigger, a bigger fact, you know, a lot of um, interesting sort of approaches to this, right? Whether it be auto remediation, uh, automation in response to some event. So there's a, there's a lot of ways to go about this, right? And GitOps, I, I almost think of it, it's a more popular thing now, but uh, it's a subset of sort of doing some infrastructure as code or automation in response to some event, right? So the idea behind GitOps, um, it is, if you are taking a very opinionated approach on infrastructure as code, um, you're probably overlapping with a lot of the GitOps practices, which is like using version control, uh, making sure your, uh, you know, every change is made through a structured workflow. And you can do reconciliations or mediations of drift, for example, or, or drift from the intended state in version control and doing that automatically. I think that where we want to reach a point where we're remediating everything automatically. We have no drift. Uh, we have uh, automation that's responding to events very dynamically. But, you know, that's, I think, still a little bit, uh, there's still a little bit of work in that space for us to improve on that. So it's certainly gaining more, more adoption. It's also gaining more visibility now. I think that's going to be the next biggest, uh, biggest thing. That and I think adding security specifically security as a part of it as well as cost compliance makes sense makes sense okay well i mean hopefully people have enjoyed this uh, this conversation as as i think you mentioned at the start you're the author of the uh, infrastructure as code patterns and practices uh, book published by manning you know what who are the you know if if people were if their interest was piqued by this conversation um you know who are the the people you think that would benefit most from from reading your book well anybody who has started working on infrastructure as code you could be a developer you could be an sre you could be a devops engineer uh, you could be an infrastructure engineer platform engineer um, a security engineer anybody who has um, now sort of gained responsibility for deploying cloud infrastructure or any kind of infrastructure for that matter um, and need ways to scale this as well as learn to collaborate uh, as a practice around your organization. This is hopefully a, a, you know, a good compilation of resources as well as ideas um, from various 
situations, use cases, as well as experiences. Wonderful. We we often ask when we have authors on like what was what was the what was the best part of of, uh, of writing this book? What did you enjoy the most? I enjoyed the process of uh, sort of feedback because all of this was in my head for years, for for many years. Mm. Um, and some of these were not fully structured, right? So I had the thought that I should write a chapter and these are the points that I should cover, but I had never fully articulated all of the nuances that had to go into it. Uh, you know, of course, you know, you get, you fall into this illusion like, oh yeah, you know, I think I could cover a lot of it. Um, and as a joke, as a sort of a indicator of where I came from is like, I spent, I had one section, originally one subsection on cost. <laughs> And a couple of folks, you know, the reviewers as well as some, uh, you know, colleagues, teammates, you know, folks in the industry were like, but you should do a whole chapter. And I was like, uh, I do, should I, I guess like, you know, I didn't realize this was <laughs> such an important factor and they're like, actually you should. So I was like, okay. Um, and so having the feedback and, and folks adding ideas and saying like, did you think about this? And I'm like, oh. I did think about it, but I forgot about it. And so being able to go back, <laughs> refine it and add it. And now I'm like, oh, wow, now that I have written it, it is, it is, uh, you know, it's got all of these ideas on paper. There are still things that I'm coming up with and I'm like, oh, I forgot to add that. Um, and, or there's an additional expansion to certain things too. Um, but I really appreciated sort of this uh, community, uh, community participation where folks nice. would remind me or help me understand, you know, certain nuances in certain places. Um, and that was probably my favorite part. Very good. Very good. Mm -hmm. Um, actually you, you touched on something I think Yon was, was kind of interested in like the, 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 the cost of cloud computing is, is, is always interesting. And, and given that you mentioned it, um, you mind giving the audience a, a quick sort of 30 seconds as to what can, they can expect to see in that section. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that section, I'm, I'm going to have a disclaimer. I am not a cloud computing consultant, uh, cloud computing cost <laughs> consultant. Uh, so, you know, most of this is through experience, right? Through learned experience. Uh, and, and it's partly because um, it came out as a, I would build a production system and every time the bill would come back and we'd be told, oh, it's too expensive. And you know, and you can estimate all you want, but you, you, will inevitably incur some kind of cost and you're not expecting that, right? Um, and it's very hard to control for it when you're starting development, especially with infrastructure as code. So in this chapter, what it's really focusing on is how do you think about mitigating cost? You don't, if you're not doing it early uh, and you're finding yourself shocked by a cloud bill or something, or you're trying to understand how to optimize it, what are the techniques that you can use from an infrastructure's code standpoint to mitigate the cost? So it goes from cost compliance using testing um, and cost estimation all the way to, as you mentioned before, auto scaling groups, um, you know, making, you know, putting in tags, expiration tagging, et cetera, mm -hmm. into your resources, identifying which resources are on demand versus persistent, how you can do that with infrastructure's code. So it runs all of these different techniques pretty much from um, cost compliance and budgeting all the way to specific implementations that you can do in infrastructure as code that will help you mitigate some of the cost of whatever development environment or production environment you have. Yeah, I found it very interesting to have it. I've never seen it in a book before to have just a, a kind of rational view on, hey, this is going to cost money. You should 
from day one, keep it to account <laughs> that you will get that bill you didn't want to get. I know. I, you know, I, I, it occurred to me and I had it in one section and a reviewer was like, please just like, I want a whole section on this because, <laughs> or a whole chapter on this because it, it happens so often yeah. after you've done initial deployment, whether it be greenfield or brownfield, you know, and you get the cloud bill back and you're always looking for techniques yeah. and you don't know some of these techniques. They're not really compiled anywhere. Nope. And they had a very valid perspective. I was like, you know what? We should just compile some of these techniques in one place and, and talk about them. Fantastic. Well, it's been incredible chatting with you, Rosemary. Really appreciate your your time um, spending with us talking about infrastructure as code and and all these kind of fun topics. Uh, any any final words? Anything from you that we missed? You know, no, uh, I will say for those who are listening and you're you're you know, worried, you're saying, oh my goodness, all of these terms are challenging, all of these concepts are really difficult. Do I have to know everything and anything, you know, to, to be successful or to do this well? And and uh, I want to reassure everybody, it's okay. Um, it's okay to, to not get it perfect. It's okay not to, um, you know, to have everything as infrastructure as code. It's in an ideal world, we want, you know, everything perfect and we adhere to all of these practices and patterns. But in reality, our systems are complicated, um, and so are our organizations. So if you can get even 20% of, of what you're doing on a day-to-day in infrastructure's code, and it's making um, your your day-to-day -day work easier, that is all anybody can ask for. So don't worry yeah. too much if there's a Fantastic. lot going on. <laughs> yeah. I think with the whole, one of the whole principles of the fact that uh, software development as a whole is, is it's iterative, and this is just bringing bringing that into this space like perfection is uh it, it's it's not really it's something that's realistic for most people it's all about the journey and the the, the time that you spend taking it so that's that's yeah. really really good advice mm -hmm. wonderful well again thank you rosemary really appreciate uh the conversation really appreciate the the time and the uh, the thoughts that you've shared and uh, we look forward to hopefully chatting with you again in the future Thank you. Oh, thank you. And that's it for the interview with Rosemary from HashiCorp and from the book titled, I have to look this up because I'm very bad at memorizing, memorizing things, infrastructure's code, patterns and practices. We had a little talk about the book at the end and it does sound like something uh, many people could benefit from. Definitely, definitely. Really great conversation thank you so much rosemary for your time really appreciate it and i'm sure our audience does as well um i sure did with that unless you have anything any closing words no that's it from me then that's all the time we have for today you can support this podcast you can, can become a patreon contributions do help give me dixie lessons that will help too you can go to YouTube, you can like, subscribe, notification bells, watch videos there. We do a lot of stuff on YouTube these days as well. You can go to www.roaringup.org. There's links to the Patreon page, YouTube page, and all the other stuff we do. You can follow us on Twitter using the roaringelephant tag, and you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is, I don't know, Big Ball of Fire, you <laughs> <laughs> And my name is All About the Code, Dave. I look forward to talking to you again about something completely different next week. Goodbye. See you then.